listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Mr. McKay, Happy New Year, my friend. It is good to finally see you. It's been three weeks. I'm sure you've Happy been Happy New Year. You've been sad. Do you want to talk about the elephant in the room? Uh, no, we're not going to talk about that. That will not actually be covered in this year's podcast podcast series ever. We won't acknowledge that it ever happened. Because I'm told in this day, the day of fake news, I can just create whatever stories I want and just reshape the dialogue, right? Is that how it works? I, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, All right, so Michigan won the national title. Like, okay, it's out of the way. It's out of the way. It's done. Okay, moving on. We have, <laughs> I'm not letting you talk about it. We have a fabulous guest to kick off the year. Really excited about having him here. Uh, so we're just going to jump right in. So uh, with us today is David DeWolf. David is the CEO of KnownWell, an AI solutions company. And they're doing some really cool things around artificial intelligence, specifically as it relates to professional services firms. And without further ado, I'm just going to, David, just, just join us and t- t- tell us a little bit about you and tell us a little bit about KnownWell, and then we'll jump into today's, into today's uh, topic. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's great to, to be here. Um, just a little bit about myself. Um, before KnownWell, I actually built a professional services firm of my own. Uh, Three Pillar Global was an outsourced product development firm, uh, specialized in product development services, uh, scaled that business to about 2,500 employees, um, sold it to private equity a couple of times, and and then finally stepped down a year ago now, uh, last January, January 1st, uh, just because it was time to refresh and recharge after 16 long years. Um, had a great run, loved it, um, but was really excited to just kind of step out, focus on the family a little bit um, and recharge the batteries. And that lasted for about two and a half months. And right as I was beginning this uh, period of retirement, AI took off. And uh, being a technologist my entire career, um, I really began to hear three different conversations going on. Uh, the first one was all about the LLMs. It was about the technology itself, the advancement of, of artificial intelligence. Um, interesting, billions of dollars going towards it, but more about the technology than it was the impact to society. And um, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about how technology impacts human beings. Um and so I realized that the other two conversations going on, uh, one was the personal productivity. It was all about how do we leverage this technology in order to be more productive, more efficient, more effective in what we do. Um, this is all about you know writing the first draft of your blog. It's all about uh, software engineering and, and helping to uh, accelerate writing code, uh, write the first draft, right? those types of things. Uh, medical research, right? Pharmaceutical research is another area. Interesting, but again, um, not my passion. Uh, the third conversation conversation was my passion. And that is that there is a lot of conversation out there about how is AI going to impact our businesses? Um, How are we going to lead differently? How are the operations of our work going to happen differently? What's going to impact jobs? And this matters to me because it's not just about the technology. It's also about the people. Um, And I think there's a lot of fear out of there and a lot of questions around this space. And what I realized about this space is that nobody was really answering the question. Um, And so 
September, uh, just uh, about four months ago, we launched Knownwell, and Knownwell exists in order to help organizations adopt AI in a moral, ethical, and responsible fashion. And we're doing that by building a software platform of the future, uh, something that we call an intelligent operating system uh, for businesses that we can talk about later uh, if it's worthwhile. Um, but we're really passionate about what we've discovered through tons and tons of customer research and are really seeing um, firms start to really adopt this, not just for tooling, um, not just for that productivity, but to run their businesses differently and more intelligently. Um, and so uh, it's been a great run so far. And it's really exciting to be back at the, the early phases of, of startup uh, company life again. That is so cool. I didn't even see this coming, um, particularly in, in light of what happened at uh, OpenAI with its mm -hmm. founder and its conflict with the board around its its application um it's it's curious that you open that um that's that ethical and moral application of this is it's so important to you yep. and it seems like and, and maybe this is true of all kind of major business uh events that it seems to bifurcate into I don't, I don't know the Randians and the um, <laughs> you know Thomas Aquinas you know ethical and moral kind of breakdown yep. of this. It, it, yeah. Give give us a little bit about why that's so important to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, so at, at the end of the day, I believe that artificial intelligence is the most powerful breakthrough, right? Technological advancement we've ever had in the history of the world. Not just you're in my lifetime, in the history of the world. And it's more powerful by an order of magnitude. Um, and when you look at that, that type of advancement has the ability to elevate humanity, to really reinforce the dignity of the human person, or it has the ability to erode it, to destroy it. And I think all of us have had the opportunity to see what happens when the moral equation isn't part of the conversation with technology adoption. I mean, just look at what has happened with the polarization of our society because of social media, um, because at the forefront of the conversation wasn't what is best for human beings. And I would argue that because of what has happened in technology in the last couple of decades, we actually act more like robots now than we do like human beings. And I'd like to see us get back to really allowing human beings to thrive. Um, and that, that for me comes all the way back to, I, I had this realization actually during my retirement, I was on uh, an eight day silent retreat and I, I started the retreat on the day that Jeff Hinton stepped down from Google um, because of fears of AI and what the technology was doing. And it was on the sixth day of the retreat and just in total silence that it hit me. We need ethical leaders running towards this stuff, not away from it. And I really believe that you can find the full potential of AI. You can deliver real economic value, but you can do it in a very moral, ethical, and responsible me. And um, that that's what drives me. That's what gets out of me out of bed in the morning is, is finding that balance and delivering on that promise uh, for our customers. I have an either or question for you as you talk. I, I uh, you, you, you speak with such passion. 
And when you said, I'm going to come back, you know, I've, I've been, I've been on retirement for all of two months. So I, I took 45 days off or whatever. <laughs> my math's wrong, my math's wrong, right, Jeff? Uh, but did you come back out of excitement for the technology? Like, oh my gosh, th- th- this is, this is like you just said, you feel it's the most important technology or the most uh, powerful technology ever. Or did you come back because of your concerns about making sure that we find a way to make it ethical and responsible? Yeah, I'd say actually there's a third alternative there. Uh, okay. Something slightly different for me. Um, the, first and foremost, it was about two and a half months in that I realized break is great. Traveling the world was great. Spending time with family and friends was great, but I am made to be a leader. I love operating. I had ramped up a couple of board seats. I had done some consulting work, but I love to be in the trenches with the team, motivating and inspiring people, casting vision to do something greater than ourselves. And um, that is just who I am as a person. And so getting back to that was important to me. Um, But what really drove me to nine months later um, to, to really start a business and to actually execute on that was the purpose. It was the mission. It wasn't the technology itself. It was this idea that what's intellectually stimulating in the technology is great, but more importantly is this mission of how do we make sure that it elevates and does not destroy humanity. Um, I don't think we're going extinct, but I definitely think it can dehumanize us. I, I, I do think my sense is you're a contrarian in the technology industry. Uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of AI uh, content over the last three months as we started to kind of to ramp up this program. I've read a lot of AI and the comments I hear frequently from technologists sound something like this. In fact, there was a Freakonomics episode in which they were interviewing a woman who had tried to create AI to see if they could, she could get it to tell jokes. And her, her outcome, basically she says, well, um, I, I, she, she basically sidesteps the moral questions and says, that's not my problem. Like, I'm just interested in the technology. I don't really understand that. And I think that's a really fascinating thing. You actually have a really interesting background. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about kind of, because to to me, you you seem like a a very unique guy in the world of technology with a contrarian point of view. So um, to tell us more about how you found yourself with kind of this philosophy in life. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it goes back, you know, my my faith has always been a really important part of who I am uh, and, and formed me. And part of my faith, um, one of the fundamental principles of, of the Catholic Church is this idea of the dignity of the human person and the dignity of the human person that each and every one of us as individuals is worthwhile and is loved, not because of what we do, not because of what we produce, but just because we are, because we are made by God. And that is at the core of my very being, one of my fundamental beliefs. And in everything that I do, I've always wanted to share that with the world, to help to foster that in the world. Um, And I think it's especially relevant in today's day and age, where we talk about diversity and inclusion and belonging all the time. Um, All good stuff, fine. But what really matters is not what divides us and separates us. What matters is what pulls us together. And we don't spend enough time focusing on those commonalities and focusing on the innate 
dignity of every single human being. And I think if we were more personalized, if we focused on the individual more and really allowed people to exercise their gifts and their talents uh, in order to do what only they can do, um, I think this would be a much better place. But instead, we look at people and we value them based on what they produce or, um, you know, the utilitarian aspect. So in, in my entire career, all of my work has always been oriented around creating cultures, creating environments where individuals can not only thrive in their professional life, but can provide, uh, can thrive in all aspects of their life, right? Be the best mother, husband, father, uh, friend, um, you know, hobbyist, whatever you are, um, you should be able to show up as your true self, your authentic self and be valued for being a human, not be valued for some sort of artificial characteristic. And so that that's at the core. Yet what I see has happened in society is that technology, which in and of itself is amoral, right? There are no morals in technology. It's just <laughs> a tool. But the way it is applied is either for good or for bad. And we have allowed it in a lot of situations to divide us, to create this vitriol that we have in our society um, and those types of things. And, and I'd like to see this next wave. We have a new chance to help shepherd artificial intelligence to undo some of that and get back to what makes us us. Um, and so that's really important to me. And I think the contrarian part of it, you know, I, I talked about my faith, the other aspect of it, I think something that we've really lost in society is the study of the humanities. We spent a lot of time on the STEM subjects, rightly so. I'm all in for science and technology and math. Uh, math was my favorite subject. But what taught me to think, what taught me ethics, what taught me about culture um, were the humanities that I studied. And I think we need to put just as much attention on those subjects in our news media, in our education system, right, in those uh, venues of life in order to make sure that we shepherd this technology that we're creating for the better. Yeah, I feel like our obsessive focus on STEM over the last 10 years of education is, is now really uh, past focused totally. um, it, it, more than ever, you know, with, with AI, because what, what AI can do is so many of those things that we thought were so critical, it can do much faster and, and more efficiently yeah. than we can. And so, well, so yeah, but in the arts, in the humanities, what comes out is, the things that are that make you uniquely human. Yeah. Well, and and let's take a very very practical pragmatic example of that right now. So OpenAI about six months ago announced that they were going to spend, if I remember correctly, it was either twenty or thirty percent of their R and D investments on human alignment. Okay. Great. What's human alignment? Alignment is getting these machines to do what the human intends, right? And so they're doing all this R&D and research on getting these machines to match human intent. Well, where's the research on what human intent actually is? What are they aligning to? I have yeah. no doubt that they're going to nail the technological aspect of that. Yeah. I am totally scared about what they are going to arbitrarily declare as human intent because I don't know that I trust that that's going to be my human intent, right? And I think we should be putting just as much effort into the research of the humanities of really defining in this new day and age, what does it mean to be human, 
right? Um, and, and to be human, very specifically, is to be in relationship. It is to be loved. It is to know and to be known, right? That is something that a machine will never do, right? The, that part of the consciousness of humanity, of to know, and, and you and I can know each other in a way that a machine never will. It will just process bits and bytes about us. It won't actually know us and be in relationship. That is what is fundamentally unique about being human. And we need to put more thought into that if we want true human alignment. Well, it's funny because as you, as you were talking about what really drives you, that's what jumped out to me is that that's the what I don't, I don't see a reality where AI can lead. Um, it can manage, I would suppose, I suppose you could probably have AI that manages, but I don't know that, that it can lead. So I don't know that, I don't know that it can draw out the hearts of, of people and get them to follow. I love that thought. Um, I just wrote a blog post on that about a month ago is exactly that, right? What is management? Management is harnessing the power of the human spirit. What is leadership? It is unlocking, it's unleashing the power of the human spirit. Yes, absolutely. Machines can figure out how to harness the human spirit, it can't unleash it. You can't motivate yeah. and inspire you. Well, let's, let's, let's shift gears a little bit because I, I, I went a little philosophical. I didn't intend to, honestly. <laughs> but, but the way you talked, I felt like we had to. Go ahead, Jeff. It's, it, it, that's so unlike you. That's so unlike you. <laughs> it, hey, and maybe, maybe the bridge um, from what I heard David say is really about potential and unleashing human and applying human potential. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Yeah, I want to get into to that point. I want to get into these five altitudes of, of how AI can be deployed because I think that's actually the segue, right? It, it is. It, it is that the potential is these these five altitudes. Mm -hmm. So uh, you wrote a nice piece about this, uh, and you also recorded a, a, a podcast episode on it. Um, so talk, maybe just talk us through the five altitudes of AI as you see them, and then tell us where you think professional services firms are operating within those altitudes now. And I think I yeah. we all know the answer, but yeah, <laughs> you know, so, you. so when, when we launched, uh, known well, um, really our intent for the first quite long period of time was to actually just get into boardrooms and into C-suites and listen, what are the problems that companies are, are struggling with? And the, one of the biggest struggles that we heard over and over was people saw the potential of AI in terms of, wow, this is amazing technology, but they couldn't figure out how to apply it to their business. And there was no frame for how to even think about it. And what eventually hit us was this idea that there's actually five different altitudes of work that we all do within our businesses. Um, at the very bottom of the pyramid, uh, there's manual labor, right? Very good dignifying work, but it's actually doing work with our hands. It's producing things. You know what? We've been using AI for that for decades. It's called robotics. <laughs> um, so that's the first altitude. And yeah. uh, there are lots of companies, right? Lots of automated factory floors um, that are actually doing robotics. Um, and that's real artificial intelligence that has figured out um, how to assemble things, how to, to manufacture things, how to, to do manual work. 
The second layer of work is the one that we're actually engaging with right now in a brand new way, and that's knowledge work. It's it's what I call execution, the execution of work within a knowledge business, uh, which is what a professional services firm is. It's a knowledge business. And that execution is actually doing the work of craft. It is doing the actual core service that your professional services firm is providing. Um, if you're a marketing firm, it may be writing copy. If you're a technology firm, it may be writing code. Uh, if you're a pharmaceutical research business, it may be discovering new molecules, right? Um, the artificial intelligence can absolutely be deployed on those discrete tasks in order to accelerate that, make it more efficient, and make it more productive. The third layer, uh, this third altitude is actually the frontier we're at right now, which is operations. What is operations? Operations is actually in all of our businesses, we have a machine, so to speak, that ties all of these discrete work streams together and pulls together all the discrete work that actually happens and orchestrates it for the purpose of an objective, for a purpose of an outcome. Right. And so it's the operations of the business. Here's the amazing part to me. If you look at the average knowledge worker, research shows that 85% of their week is deployed on operational work. That is meetings, reporting, bureaucracy, administration, the collaboration between different departments, how all these pieces tie together, not the actual execution of work itself. And so if you want to fulfill the promise of AI and what the economists say is going to be a $16 trillion economic boom, you have to tackle that part of work because it is where the vast majority of work is. Um, and so that's the third altitude. The fourth altitude is strategy. That is making trade-off decisions. It's, an, it's the next layer up from operations, right? It's creating the frame within which we do operate. And then the final altitude is your ideology, right? It is the culture. It is the values. It is the purpose of the firm, the vision of the firm. Um, that's also very creative work of defining that and, and seeing that play through. Um, I think the frontier that we're at right now is that operational layer. Absolutely, it's starting to encroach into strategy as well. Um, and I think the firms that will be most successful and see the most advantage from AI are those that adopt it, not just for robotics, not just for execution, but really primarily for operations and even helping to make strategic trade-off decisions. It's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking about the funny thing about it is that there's still so much left to be done, even at the robotics layer. I was talking to a prospective client just, just about a week or two ago, and he they work in the manufacturing sector. And what he was talking about is really that's where they're still spending all their time and energy is because manufacturing companies across the country are still short of talent. They do not have enough people to work all portions of the assembly line. And so they're still constantly looking at new ways to bring robotics and into the, into the factory to to drive more efficiency out. And um, it's funny because I don't, where I'm going with this is, is sort of my question is, I don't think these, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think these five altitudes are necessarily, you graduate, you know, nope. maybe, maybe there, maybe it's more like an onion and you, and you kind of, I mean, I guess you don't, you know, you peel an onion, but it's something you build, you build up. 
Yep. And you, well, you, you know, and you, and you may be approaching three or four of them at once, right? Absolutely. And, and I think you, you may build up, you may build down, right? Okay. Um, as the technology advances, the technology is now in a place where it can impact, um, at least the first four of those altitudes, ideology, we can have some philosophical debates about. Um, but, you know, there is an element. Like One of the things I find a lot of people don't really understand is what is different about AI from previous types of compute, right? What is fundamentally different about artificial intelligence is that it can infer, not just do mathematical equations, not just recall from memory, but actually infer, can piece different data points together in order to come to a conclusion that isn't necessarily a black or white mathematical equation right? Or geometric equation. Um, that's what's different. The other thing that it can do is it can actually apply values and principles on top of those inferences in order to make judgments. Now, what's unique is I don't think it's to the point where it can actually create its own values and principles. In fact, it doesn't really create anything. It's really just mathematical computations predicting what is next, right? If you look inside it. Um, and so, um, you know, the ideological debate is one, you know, we put to the side, but absolutely it can help you make better strategic trade-off decisions. It can absolutely help you make better operational decisions within your business, irregardless of if you're doing anything related to robotics um, or even the execution of work. What is interesting, though, is to your point about robotics, um, it, there's the, the manual labor that we need. There's also the capital cost of building those types of things in the physical world. Knowledge work is inherently cheaper, not in human labor, but in machines. Yeah. Right? We're processing bits and bytes. We don't actually have to move any soil around, right? And so um, I do think a lot of businesses, that's why this technology is being democratized and at a speed we've never seen before, is because it can actually work from the top down, not just the bottom up. So there's no, you don't have to go in at any one of these entry points, these, these five layers. It's not, there, there's nothing saying you should start at the execution layer or the operations layer. It's not at all. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yep. I, I think you can start in each one, but the frame helps you to start to think about the use cases. What we're finding is most organizations don't know how to think about what's possible and finding those actual use cases that can drive business value. And the biggest mistake in technology adoption is when you focus on the technology and go look for something to do with it, as opposed to finding a true business problem and then applying a technology that makes sense. And so if you get this frame in place, you can start looking at where am I losing productivity in execution? Where am I losing productivity in operations? Where am I losing productivity in the strategic competitive choices that I'm making, right? And it can give you a frame for starting to figure out um, what type of use cases may be most valuable to your firm. And I'm sorry, Jason. Um, okay. Um, as you were, as you were laying out those five altitudes, David, um, my mind started racing around how um, a technology would make decisions of what to do or not to do in each one of those situations. And in, in some situations, it's kind of black and white, but as you hit operations and strategy and ideology, um, I started thinking in terms of, well, is there a clear black and white number here or is it 
better or worse, you know, utilitarian, um, does it help more people or fewer people? Is it right or is it wrong? And you start to see that potential for the dehumanization and what's the decision criteria that's being used to infer in those marginal areas. So, um, and, and then Jason says, you know, do you need to start in one place or the other? <laughs> one might argue, and I suspect you would too, that the place you have to start is at the highest one, at the ideology, because it informs everything else that's going on. Well, so I would actually argue you don't actually necessarily start with the ideology from a what can I the the AI do perspective. Yeah. You start with the ideology in terms of those are your guardrails, right? Those are yeah. your values, your principles that the AI can absolutely use as guardrails, right? It can apply. Um, but if you don't have a foundation of culture that is rooted in what is your firm's fundamental mission in the world, the purpose of your firm? What are the values that define the behaviors of your organization and are inherent in how you expect each other and now machines to behave? Then um, you are going to deal with the ethical ramifications of AI gone wrong. But if you have that and you can train your models on that and you can provide those as guardrails, yeah, I would start there, but not in terms of help the, the, the work. I would start there in terms of my responsibility, right? Setting the ideology of a firm is something that I uniquely can do as a human being and is the best use of my time versus reading another report and trying to find the signal in the noise when I compare it to another report, which a machine can do for me and give me the answer, right? And so that's where I would spend my personal time is at the highest level of the pyramid. The other thing that you said I think is really important to call out, which is when we're talking about artificial intelligence, rarely is there a black and white answer, right? Um, the power of the artificial intelligence is that there isn't a black and white answer. Historically, computers have done great at solving puzzles because puzzles have a single answer. You put the pieces together and it makes a picture and there's a right answer. What it solves now is messes and problems, right? Think about the examples everybody uses. It's writing code. There's not one way to write code. It's writing drafts of blogs. There's not one way. There's not a right answer to, to write a blog. Right. In fact, if you ask these LLMs to do these tasks, it will do it differently each time. Right. It is based on the notion that as as humans, we, we don't just do deterministic work. Right. That's when we become the most robotic. Right. Human creativity is what it's replicating. Right. And, and it is finding the different outcomes to meet the need. And that's the world that we live in. So I, I think you're right. It's important that we think through um, the, the, the guardrails. Right. This ideology that we put around it. What I think is interesting about what you said is that it goes back to AI as a compute mm -hmm. structure. Right. And the example I'll give is I did this with my kids. We went to chat GPT. This was a while ago. And we started asking it math questions. <laughs> and we found math questions that it literally would just get wrong. And it would get them, not just get them wrong once. It would get it wrong repeatedly. So I gave it a math question that it managed to get wrong four times consecutively. And every time I asked it again, it would answer with confidence mm -hmm. that, you know, 
well, oh, I'm sorry. This is the answer. No, you're still wrong. Yeah. Now, the fascinating thing about that to me is, by contrast, the, a mathematical question to a traditional algorithm or a computer structure is a very straightforward, there, there's an answer or there's not, and it could do it very easily. Yep. And so it just, it, it, for me, it highlighted the, the strengths and weaknesses of the technology relative to other forms of computing power that you're used to interacting with as a human. Yeah. Let me give and, you a, a so, real example of that that we're finding in professional services firms. Okay. So um, – we have over and over and over again heard that professional services firms in this economy especially are really struggling to know in a very intimate way their their clients. Um, they are continually surprised over the past uh, several months, right, last year, uh, when they churn, when they their, their clients are trit. Um, and they don't really know why, and they're unable to predict it. And if you think about the reason why, it's because you and I as professional services leaders, what we do to assess the health of our client relationship is we probabilistically collect a bunch of different dots, right? A bunch of different small facts, and it we process it in our subconscious, and all of a sudden we have a gut feeling, you know what? This relationship may be going off. Right. And it's that gut feeling that boutique consulting firms are so good at because they have great leaders. But as you scale a professional services firm, it becomes harder and harder and harder for you to sit in the middle of all of the communication, of all of the different relationships, um, of all of those different data points. And so you can no longer notice that, you know what, they always paid their invoice on time, but now they're four days late. Um, you know what, that meeting's gotten canceled twice. And this person never shows up late, but they showed up late. And you know what, there was a news report about something that may impact their revenue. And you know what, the sentiment in that email, the tone, the way they end it, that's totally unlike any way they've ever communicated before, right? Those are the little things that as leaders, we may not even know we're picking them up. But we pick them up and we say, you know what, this is at risk. I need to do something about it. And then we have a gut feeling of, oh, it's the strength of the relationship or no, actually, it's their business isn't healthy or mm, no, actually, our service quality. I need to go work on that. And we rarely know these things explicitly and, and proactively as a computer can figure out right? What AI can do now is process so many more data points than I can ever consume as a leader. And it can do all of those probabilistic computations to find the signal and the noise and tell me before I was ever known. That's an operational use case where it's not a math problem. It is really a gut feel that now the AI can replicate. And that's the type of thing that we're talking about that has changed in compute. What's, I think what's fascinating about that to me, especially as you talk about a larger firm like you just did, is frequently there are people that aren't in the interactions. The people that are in the interactions don't see what's happening they're at the cold face, as they say, right? So they don't recognize that the, that the sentiment is turning negative or the client's having these bad behaviors. All these things are going on and they don't even see it. And of course, then the person above them, the person that maybe oversees all client relationships, let's say, doesn't have the visibility to know what's going on. So this idea that, it, you know, 
a layer could sit between the two that that's going to give you visibility into things you didn't see, I think is really yeah. valuable. Well, and the um, problem is infinitely more complex in professional services, because yeah. what you have is a core relationship that is business to business that has multiple people on either yeah. sides. And so there are more people that we're interacting with and more channels of communication that we're interacting with. And what's fascinating in is in a world where leaders are overwhelmed by data and they have so much they can't even make good decisions out of it, right? Research actually shows the amounts of data that we're dealing with now actually undermine decision-making. They don't help it. But we're ignoring the most important data, which is the communication between the human beings that actually tells us. Machines can do that in a way, to your point, leaders simply can't sit in the middle of all of those. But we can get machines to. And that's how you begin to say, you know what? This is where the technology can help us be more human, right? What makes me human is not doing all that processing and finding it. It's actually doing something about it. So let's let the technology scour our communications, combine it with publicly available information, combine it with the data and tell us and prompt us and urge us, go act on it. And here's why. And let me use my humanity to go fix that relationship, to go solve a problem, to go do something. That's the type of thing that we're talking about that we think this, this can elevate humanity, not just the performance of our firms, yes, but also allowing each and every one of us to do what actually fulfills us and what we're uniquely qualified to do. You just, yeah, it's you funny. Just, I, go ahead, Jeff. You, you just scared me when, with that statement. <laughs> um, and it makes me want to cut the lines and move to a cabin in the, in the mountains <laughs> because, and, and I, I say this in order for an artificial intelligence to pick up on those nuances, it mm -hmm. has to be exposed to all human interaction. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, I, I find it invasive enough that, you know, Google scans my Gmail for something, right? Mm -hmm. um, but eye contact, body motions, and, or, you know, um, body language, um, tone, inflection. Yep. In order to feed that data into an artificial intelligence model, you got to collect the data. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think by its very nature, collecting that data dehumanizes mm -hmm. us because now you're in this big Hawthorne uh, effect mm -hmm. kind of experiment where everything we do and is being absorbed. I, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a scary society to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think I would go back and I would say, just like technology is amoral, I think the collection of data is amoral. It's actually what you do with it. Now, does it just like advanced technologies have the potential to be used? Can the collection of data be, be used? Absolutely. Which is why, again, we need ethical leadership um, that is driving this type of thing. Um, but I would say this too, is People are often shocked when we start talking about this and you start to, to bring up things like, you know, you brought up Google and your Gmail. I don't know a single business that doesn't have cybersecurity scanning for their emails. They are processing every single email already. 
right? And oh, by the way, those cyber tools aren't just an email, right? Everybody can identify with that, but they are all over our laptops. We are already scanning this data. That data already exists. It is simply what are we using it for? And yes, we can use it for bad, but we can also use it for a lot of good. Let's embrace the good and push into the good as opposed to running away from it is my mantra. Yeah. We have about five minutes with you before we lose you. So, Jeff, is there anything that you want to ask David that you haven't asked? Because I do have one last question I'd like to, to, to ask him. Fire away. I'd just like to get a little bit of an uh, uh, of a, uh, insider's take on the intelligent business operating system that you <clears> have <throat> planned. So, Knownwell is investing in some technology. Mm-hmm. I think it relates to some of what we just talked about. So, yes. maybe just give us a little bit of an insider's look at what's coming down the pipe, when we can expect yep. to see it, and what it what it might what it might offer professional services. For. Yeah. So, we're we're building what we call an intelligent enterprise operating system, and the idea behind this is in the future, um, we really believe that the artificial intelligence, um, you know, a, a platform will be partnering with leaders to help both digest all of these information flows we talked about, but then also orchestrate the business and drive it towards optimal revenue, profit, uh, productivity in the the organization. Um, The best and most concrete analogy that I have is if you think about Amazon's supply chain, Why is Amazon so big, so successful? It's because they are so close to the market and to the customer that they are able to use that data and that information they have on the market and the customer in order to optimize their supply chain, their warehousing, their delivery, everything. And the artificial intelligence interprets that and orchestrates that supply chain to optimize for revenue and profit. Every single business in five or seven years is going to be run that way. No doubt about it. It's happening. Um, And so we're building that specifically for professional services firms um, and helping them to understand the nuance of these relationships. Every single professional services firm I know wants to be and claims to be client-centric, right? But if you actually push into it, the vast majority of them don't actually know what their clients think and what they know. They're not really intimate with it. And it's because all we're doing is looking at a relationship, right? The data we have on our customers is transactional. That's not true intelligence and intimacy. So we're looking at all of these nuanced communications and information flows, turning it into true customer intelligence, which is all about what is the true status of the health of that relationship and what do I need to do about it? And then how do I plan and prioritize my business in order to optimize for that. Um, And that's the orchestration that we're doing. Um, We are currently in our early access uh, pilot. We have a couple of of early access uh, partners that we've partnered with uh, to build this that are testing out the ideas. Um, We will be launching a beta uh, in the second quarter uh, this year and adding more folks to that. Um, and then we expect to be in limited availability and, and, and available for everybody to sign up, uh, towards the third quarter of this year. But right now we're talking to professional services firms who are interested in being on the leading edge of this and, uh, about partnering with them. And we've got a waiting list of folks uh, that are signing up that, that want to use this. We've been shocked at the appetite for this. Um, there, everybody sees the future, and they are all struggling with this 
this customer retention and client growth, right? That's the other side of the coin. Uh, if we can get intimate with our clients and we can actually run our businesses in a way that honors that intelligence and that intimacy, um, everybody sees the value there. It doesn't surprise me at all. Honestly, Jeff, you think back to some of the, the stark data that Matthew Dixon shared with us in loss in, in, in client loyalty drops over the last couple of years. It's, 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 it's startling. Totally. A fascinating uh, data point. That's just a fun one that complements Matt's work is um, in the last five years, spend on customer experience and success has gone from 500 billion to a trillion dollars, double to a trillion dollars a year. However, Customer churn in that period of time has gone up, right? We actually don't retain as many customers by a 3% drop, if I remember correctly. Is that specific to professional services or is that just in general? That's, that's generally that's across. General. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 can, you can feel that in pretty much every business relationship you have as a totally. consumer. Yeah. All right. So we, we, we are uh, – one last question is where, where can listeners find you? How can they connect with you? Uh, yeah. Where do they go to, 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 to connect with you, David, and to connect with Nomo? Yeah, three different places you can find us. Number one, go to knownwell.com. Um, you'll find everything about the the operating system we just talked about there, about customer retention, all sorts of different insights. Um, probably the staple of those insights is the AI Know How podcast. Check yep. that out if you're a podcast listener. Uh, and you can find me personally at daviddewolf.com. It's a fabulous podcast. I highly recommend. David, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, we're really excited. We actually are bringing Knownwell back for another episode here shortly with some of your colleagues and really excited for that episode as well. So uh, thank you. Thanks so much, guys. I had so much fun. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Stitcher.